Well, let's pray together, and let's, uh, let's ask the Lord to meet us in the Word. Lord, we give our hearts to you right now and ask that you would make my heart the way it should be, the way it, I, I long for it to be in, in, re, in relation to this passage, and give me wisdom, and then, Lord, touch all of our hearts with your heart-softening presence so we can hear what you're saying and say yes and trust you. So I pray for your help upon me and upon all of us. Come and empower your word, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I enjoy reading church history. That's where I wanted to start off today. And uh, as I thought about that, there's, there's like one really big lesson that you see from studying different segments of church history, and that is in every, in every era of church history, you see God's faithfulness. Jesus' faithfulness to his church. He's faithful to a church. He strengthens his church. He builds his church. He loves his church in every segment of church history. You can see him doing that. Another thing, though, that you also see, interestingly, is that in every era of church history, there's unique blind spots that the church at that time has. An area that is sin, but that they're just not seeing it. We can see it, you know, got 2020 hindsight looking back, we can see, gosh, why, how could they think that was right? But, but at the time, they just couldn't see it. I'm thinking about, um, like, for example, at the time of Constantine, how churches, many churches, um, allied themselves with the state and used political means to advance gospel purposes. Or I'm thinking about, like, in the Middle Ages, how... Uh, a lot of the churches thought that they should try to reclaim Palestine from the Muslims through force. Just all these different blind spots that are happening through different eras of church history. And this raises the question, okay, so like we're not immune to blind spots today. Because if every era of church history has them, we've got ours as well. And I, and I just was wondering this week, what might some of our blind spots be? And I think one of them today, especially in this country might be that many, many believers are blind to the fact that Jesus has called each of us to be completely devoted to bringing the good news of Jesus to people who don't know him. Many, many believers are, are blind to that. We, we haven't owned up, owned up to it. And that's what I want to talk about today, is how Jesus has called each of us to, to mission, his mission of seeking and saving the lost. So we're on week three today of a four-week series um, where we're taking a look at four rhythms that were in the early church. You can, you can see them in the book of Acts and in, in the letters of the New Testament. Four rhythms that were in the early church that enabled the early church by God's power to see their cities filled with the gospel. And that's our vision, is to see the city of San Jose in the South Bay area filled with the gospel, to see home groups multiplied throughout, to see churches planted. That's our, our longing. And so there's these four rhythms. So two weeks ago we talked about the rhythm of faith, where in the, in the book of Acts and in the early church, every believer fully trusted Jesus to do what he's promised in his word to do. And the result of that faith in Jesus was joy and peace in Jesus, love for others, and passionate obedience to Jesus Christ. There's this rhythm of faith. Then last week we talked about the rhythm of community, which flows out of faith. We trust Jesus, he gives us love for each other, and so we, we're in community together, which means we care for each other, we're devoted to each other, we build each other to trust Jesus. We're encouraging each other's faith. And that results in even more joy and peace. 
and even more love for our brothers and sisters, and even more devoted obedience to Jesus Christ. So this rhythm of faith, this rhythm of community, and then those two combine together to produce this rhythm of mission, where every believer, so full of Jesus, so full of joy and peace in Jesus, love for lost people, that we, we tell people about Jesus. We show Jesus to people by our love. We speak of Jesus by our words. We're connecting with people who don't know Christ. Mission is going on. Faith, community, mission, and then those three rhythms result in this fourth one of multiplication, where every believer can have the joy of seeing people come to know Jesus, spiritual children, spiritual grandchildren. And to put it in the context of our church structure, every home group is multiplying, sending out new teams to plant home groups, and, and churches are, are planting new churches. Faith, community, mission, multiplication. And today I want us to talk about mission. I'd like us to turn to Mark chapter 8, verses 34 to 38. If you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand. I'd really like each of you to have a Bible that you can look on with us, because we're going to be studying, digging into this text together. This passage is what's important this morning. So, Mark 8, 34 to 38. It's page 844 in the Bibles we're passing out. A little bit of background on Mark's gospel. Eusebius was a church historian in the first couple centuries of the church. He quoted Polycarp, who was a major leader in the church, in what Polycarp says about Mark's gospel. Polycarp says that Mark wrote his gospel, because you know Mark wasn't an eyewitness of Jesus. He wasn't one of the twelve. So how did he know what to write? Well, Polycarp explains that Mark wrote his gospel from listening to Peter in Rome teach what he'd experienced and heard and seen in Jesus. And so, even though Mark is not an eyewitness, Mark is still based on eyewitness testimony because, as Eusebius quotes Polycarp as saying, this was what Peter was teaching in Rome, and Mark wrote this down. So it's under the apostolic eyewitness and inspiration through Peter to Mark about Jesus. And look at what we read in Mark chapter 8, verses 34 to 38. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels, will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. This is a strong, sobering message. And it's even more strong and sobering when we notice who Jesus is talking to. Let's ask that question. Who is he talking to here? You, You might think, well, he's talking to the apostles. I mean, giving them a real strong, be devoted, guys, to prepare them for leadership of the church. Or you might think Jesus in this passage is talking maybe to the apostles and a select group of believers calling them to be further committed to advancing the gospel. 
But he's not just talking to the apostles and he's not just talking to believers in this passage. Who's he talking to? Look again at verse 34. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So before Jesus speaks these words, he specifically, everyone, come, everybody, you all need to hear this. He called the crowd to him with his disciples. So this was a message for everyone. And the reason it's a message for everyone is because in this passage, he's explaining what it means to follow him. This is what it means. Follow me. Here's what it means to follow me. He's explaining what it means to follow Jesus, which means he's explaining what it means to become a Christian. This is what being a Christian means. It means more than just this, but it doesn't mean less. This is what it means to be a Christian. So he's not explaining what it means to be an apostle. He's not explaining what it means to be an evangelist. He's explaining what it means to be a Christian, what it means to follow Jesus. So, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Look at verses 34 and 35. Calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, here's what it means. If anyone would come after me, anybody who wants to follow me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Now you might think that what he's talking about here is martyrdom, physical death, right? He talks about taking up your cross, implement of death. He talks about losing your life. You could think, wow, it sounds like Jesus is saying that following him means martyrdom, physical death for everyone. That can't be what Jesus means here for a lot of reasons. But another one I saw this week is in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Luke is describing the same incidents of Jesus teaching and mentions that something else Jesus says is you must take up your cross daily to follow him. Now, if taking up your cross is martyrdom, you can't do that daily. That should be obvious, right? You do that once, and then you're in glory with Jesus. Now, we should all be willing to give up our lives in martyrdom for Jesus. But that's not what he's saying following Jesus is. He's not talking about physical death here. So what's he, what's he calling us to if he's not calling us to martyrdom? Look at verse 35 and just think more deeply about this verse. Whoever would save his life will lose it. But now let's get this next part. Whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. So Jesus calls you to lose your life for his sake in the Gospels, which means he's talking about devotion, not martyrdom. Devotion, that is, he's calling you to be completely devoted to Jesus and the Gospel. Complete devotion. And you can see what that means in verse 38. Here he's talking about, here he's describing somebody who's not losing his life for Jesus and the gospel. And look at what he says in verse 38. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, okay, now me and my words, Jesus and the gospel, he's describing the same. We're supposed to lose our lives for Jesus and the gospel. This person is ashamed 
of Jesus in the gospel. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Okay, so not devoting your life to Jesus in the gospel means being ashamed of Jesus in the gospel. See that? So being devoted to Jesus in the gospel means not being ashamed of Jesus in the gospel in this adulterous and sinful generation amongst people who don't know Jesus. So losing your life for the gospel means not being ashamed. It means boldly proclaiming. It means making known Jesus and the gospel in this adulterous and sinful generation to people who don't know Jesus. So what Jesus is calling us to here is to lose our lives, to devote ourselves completely to making Jesus and the gospel known to people who don't know him. That's what he's explaining it means to follow Jesus. He's talking here about evangelism, okay? Making Jesus and the gospel known. And so what this passage teaches, which is just astonishing to to think about, is that following Jesus means making Jesus and the gospel known. It means devoting your life to making Jesus and the gospel known to people who don't know him. Like in your workplace, and in your neighborhood, and with your circle of friends, and in the city, and to the unreached people groups. It means being devoted to making Jesus and the gospel known. That's what it means to follow Jesus, devoting your life to making him known with people who don't know him. Now, if you've met Jesus, then at this point, there's just something in your heart that's, that's just, this just feels right. This just feels right. And I thought of three reasons. There's, there's, there's a bunch of them. One reason is because you've met Jesus and you've tasted of his glory and you've seen his majesty and you know that all things were created through him and for him and he is the supreme value in the universe. I mean, like light years above everything else. It's Jesus is the supreme reality of all that exists. And so to live your life to make him known, it just... It just fits, right? Just yes. It's one reason. Because he is most glorious. Second reason is, if you've met Jesus, your heart is just filled with the joy of knowing Jesus Christ. You've tasted of his heart-satisfying presence. You've experienced his love and his affection and his kindness and his faithfulness and power and goodness. Your heart's full and you love to talk about whatever your heart's filled with. And so to think, I'm, de- I'm supposed to devote my life to talking about Jesus? Yes, it just, it just fits. So because Jesus is most glorious, it fits. Because your heart is filled with him, it fits. And the third reason is because when your heart's filled with Jesus, you love people, and there's no more loving thing you can do for people than to alleviate their suffering, especially their eternal suffering. <laughs> I mean, do you feel just how right this is with reality? I mean, this is just like in, like flint. This is like, yes, this is it. This is what life is all about. I mean, at the end of of time, Jesus is going to come back with the glory of his father, with the holy angels. It's going to be Jesus at the end of history, all glory. And so to have lived your life, to make him known to people who don't know him, the glory of of him, the joy of that, the love of that, it's just right. It It just feels right. So, what about the other things you've been devoted to? 
Imagine you're somebody in the crowd hearing Jesus say, come on, come listen to me. If you want to come after me, devote your life to making me known to people who don't know me. What about the other things you've devoted your life to? Like maybe money or like just having a comfortable life, you know, maybe physical pleasure, something like that. What should you do about those other things you've been devoting your life to? Two things I want to say. One is, those things aren't necessarily wrong. Okay, I've got some money in my wallet this morning. All right, money's not wrong per se. Comfort's not wrong. But secondly, we're talking about what are you going to devote your life to? What's your life going to be devoted to? Money, comfort, isn't worth it. It's just not worth it. Jesus in his glory is worth it. And so, what we do is what Jesus says we do. We should deny ourselves and take up our cross. We should say no to those other things we used to be devoted to. We should nail to the cross those other things we used to be devoted to and devote ourselves completely to making Jesus and the gospel known. Now, does this mean you quit your job? No. Jesus calls you to work. Okay? You need to provide for yourself, provide for your family, work hard at your job, display Jesus' excellence and goodness and coming early, working late, being diligent, and at the same time, shine with Jesus at your job in, in ways that are appropriate to your corporate culture. Share Jesus at your job and pray for the people that you're working with. So you say no to the other things you were devoting your life to, by the way, just something about money. Did you guys read in the paper yesterday about these guys that were indicted or arrested for insider trading? Anybody read about that? I was fascinated. Mercury News said one of the richest men in the world was arrested yesterday for insider trading. And among six of them, they made about $20 million. That's nothing for this guy. How would you be one of the richest men in the world and try to make a couple more million by insider trading? Money is a vicious taskmaster. If you devote your life to money, you will never be satisfied. I mean, take him as a just prime case. Why would you do that? That's idiotic. It's as idiotic as living for money or comfort or pleasure or anything except for the God of the universe and the person of Jesus who came to the earth and died so that we could be forgiven and brought into relationship with him, and to live for his glory. So we hear this message from Jesus. He's calling us to lose our lives to make him known, to devote our lives to making him and the gospel known. We nail to the cross the other things where we were devoted to, and we say, yes, Jesus. So let this sink in. Following Jesus means devoting your life to making Jesus and the gospel known to people who don't know Jesus. That's what it means. Now, if this sounds a little bit radical, it's like, whoa. Let me suggest that the reason it sounds radical is because this is a blind spot to you. Okay? This passage, I think, bumps right up against one of the main blind spots that's in the hearts of many believers today. Because we think, well, maybe, maybe we think following Jesus means like going to church and going to home group and then supporting the, the pastors so they can make the gospel known. And that's not what it means to be a follower of Jesus. The pastor's job is to equip you to make Jesus known. Right? 
And so let this passage just really sink deep into your, into your heart. Jesus is telling you what the purpose of your life is as his follower. Making Jesus known, being devoted to making Jesus known, it's not something that some followers of Jesus do. This is something that every follower of Jesus does. This is what it means to follow him, is taking on this life purpose. That's what it means to follow Jesus. So do, do, you, do you feel the, 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 the radicalness of this? I did this week. It's like, ooh, and this, is, this has been a blind spot for me. Now, to do justice to this passage, I've got to raise another question. And that is, what is at stake in whether or not I do this? What's at stake? Because Jesus talks here about what's at stake in whether or not we do this. And I want to be faithful to the text. And look at how he answers that in verses 35 through 38. Whoever would save his life, devoting your life to those things you used to devote it to, will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake in the Gospels, devote your life to making Jesus and the Gospel known, will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? Nothing. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. So what's at stake? Now, if we're going to let this passage just speak for itself, it's just going to let, let Jesus' words just be right there and take them at face value. He's saying that what's at stake is whether or not you save or lose your life. It's whether or not you save or lose your soul. It's whether or not when Jesus comes back, he welcomes you or is ashamed of you. In other words, what's at stake in this passage is eternity, your eternal destiny, heaven or hell. There's no way to, to miss that. It's just right there. He is so plain and straightforward. That's what's at stake here in whether we live this purpose or not. What's at stake is your eternal destiny. Now, now listen very carefully. Why is eternity at stake? It's not because evangelism earns heaven. It doesn't. And if you try to do evangelism in order to earn heaven, you won't be doing evangelism and you won't earn heaven. Okay, you'll miss both evangelism and heaven. You've got to really make sure we get this. It's not because evangelism earns eternal life. There is only one way, there's no way to earn eternal life. There's only one way to receive it as a free gift, and that's by trusting Jesus, right? It's faith alone in Christ alone, through the cross alone. So the only way to receive eternal life is by trusting Jesus. If you're trusting Jesus, you have eternal life. Okay, so what's going on here? Well, think about this. Jesus has just told you, following me means devoting your life to making me known with people who don't know me. He's just stood before you and looked you right in the eye and said, devote your life now. Devote your life to making me known among people who don't know me. Now, 
If you trust Jesus, what will you do? You'll devote your life to making Jesus known among people who don't know him. Right? Let me try that again. Okay? Jesus is, is looking you in the eye and with great love because this, this, is, this is how your life was meant to be. This is like, this fits all of reality. It's just your life comes together when you adopt this purpose in him. And he's saying, devote your life to making me known among lost people. If you trust him, what will you do? You will devote your life to making him known among people who don't know him. And if you hear what Jesus says there and say, no, what does that show? It shows you don't trust him. Right? Are are you guys getting this? I mean, if it's just like the conviction of the spirit, that's good. But if it's total puzzlement, that's not good, okay? This is so crucial. So, The only way to be forgiven for your sins and to receive eternal life and to be saved is by trusting Jesus. But if you trust him, you will pursue what he says here. And the pursuing of what he says here will show that you trust him. You're not saved by evangelism, but living this life of devotion to Jesus and his cause shows that you trust him, and that's how you're saved, because you're trusting him. See the difference? But still then, that means yes, Eternity is at stake in this because my pursuit of evangelism, my devotion to Jesus' cause, my devotion to make him known amongst lost people displays whether I trust him or not. Do you feel that? So the issue is trusting him. And church, trust Jesus. I mean, look, look at who Jesus is. Look at his power in calming the storm in raising Lazarus from the dead. Look at his power. Just sheer, awesome power in Jesus. Look, look at his compassion in when he saw the crowds and he saw they were hungry and he said, let's, let's make food for them. 5,000 of them. Compassion. Jesus is all-powerful, full of compassion. Look at his wisdom in how he answered the religious leaders when they would try to pin him down. And look at his wisdom in how he's created the universe. We've got power, infinite power. We've got compassion, flawless compassion. We've got perfect wisdom. And then look at the cross. I mean, look at the cross. He's died for you. How can you look at him and, I'm not sure I trust him. How can you do that? Don't trust him. Trust him. And say, I'm not sure how this is going to work, and I'm not sure how I'm going to do it, and how's that fitting with everything else? But okay, if you'll help me, I'll do it. That's all he's looking for. Okay? So where do I start? Is that that the question you're asking? I hope it is. Are you all asking? Okay, okay, where do I start? All right? Let me give you nine suggestions. And we'll be talking about these in our home groups this week and, and praying for each other. First of all, trust Jesus to do this in you. This is so freeing. How many of you don't feel like you would be very good at doing this besides me? Anybody besides me? Let me tell you, man, this is me. This is totally me. I don't feel like I can do this very well. And if you don't feel like you can do this very well, you're in good company. And look at Mark chapter 1, verse 17. A couple chapters earlier in the book of Mark. 
Look at what Jesus says to Simon and Andrew when he's calling them to become his followers. I just love this passage. Have you ever noticed this before? Jesus said to them, Mark 1, 17, Simon and Andrew, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Follow me, Simon and Andrew, and I will make you become fishers of men. What do Simon and Andrew do? They follow Jesus. What does Jesus promise, promise to do? Make them into fishers of men. Were they already fishers of men? No. Are you already a fisher of men? No. What does Jesus say to you? Follow me, and I promise I will make you into a fisher of men. Maybe you're asking, what's a fisher of men? It's just an analogy. Okay, they were fishermen. It's, you know, we draw people into to knowing Jesus. Okay, we, anyway, all right. Do you see that? Isn't this good news? I promise you, because Jesus promised you, if you will follow him, he will make you into a fisher of men. Wouldn't you love, wouldn't you love a year from now to look back and see someone who through your love and through your conversation now knows Jesus? Wouldn't you love that? Follow me, Jesus says. I will make you become a fisher of men. Oh, that's good news. So trust him. Trust him. Trust him. Second, abide in Christ. John 15, Jesus tells us that unless we're abiding in him, we can do nothing. Okay, so abide in Jesus. Set your heart on him. How regularly do you experience his love being poured out into your heart as you are meditating on the gospel and the cross and forgiveness. You can't share the gospel unless you're experiencing the gospel. Okay? So abide in Jesus. If it's been a long time since you have experienced his forgiveness, since you've felt like you were rooted and grounded in Jesus' love so that you were secure and you're, you're worshiping him and glorying in him, if it's been a long time, Press in, press in, abide in Jesus. You've got to experience the gospel to share it. Third, nurture love for people who don't know Jesus. Jesus loved people. Just read the gospels. He loved Zacchaeus, the tax collector, right? He loved Nicodemus, the self-righteous Pharisee. He loved the woman at the well, who had five husbands and was living with a sixth man. Jesus loved lost people. Do you love lost people? You were a lost person. I was a lost person. Love, love people who don't know Jesus. Ask him to give you this. Are you, are you like self-righteous? Are you condemning Are you judgmental towards people who don't know Jesus? Love them. Love them. Love them. Fourth, make connections with people who don't know Jesus. Some of you already have these connections. You got got relationships. Some of you don't. So ask Jesus, bring me connections. Start with your neighborhood maybe. I mean, Jan and I, this summer, we we hosted two barbecues for our cul-de-sac each time over like 20, 25 people came and a lot of good connections. It was just a fun time. So make connections. Join them in whatever they like to do. What do they like to do? Texas Hold'em, you know, watching Flash Forward, whatever it might be. Join them or, or invite them to come and do what you like to do, right? But, but just 
connects, builds connections. And if you can't think of how to make connections, ask Jesus, what could I do? He, he will answer that big time. Lots, he'll answer that. Fifth, learn their story, their hopes and dreams and past. Get to know them, ask them questions, listen. Ask more questions, listen some more. Hear their longings, hear their desires, hear, hear where the gospel is needed in their life, like everywhere. Fifth, serve and love and care for them. As you, as you listen to them, get to know them, listen for needs. What needs do they have? And like maybe, maybe you could babysit for them so they could go out on a date night. Hey, you guys, you're telling me you're a little busy? Can my wife and I babysit your kids? We'll bring our kids over, we'll have a party, you guys go out and, and have a good time together. That'd be awesome to do. Maybe they're putting in a new lawn, invite your home group. Ian's got, group's got experience with backyard stuff, so invite Ian's home group to come. And, no, your home group, do, do it with yours. But invite your home group to come and put their lawn in. Live a life of serving and love. Live a life that demands a gospel explanation. Like, why is this person so serving and loving? Why? Live a life that demands a gospel explanation. Sixth. That was sixth. Serve and love and care for them. Okay. Seventh, share the gospel with them. Tell them about your real life in Jesus. Share with them when Jesus is meeting you and you're strong. Share with them when you're struggling and you're being tempted and you aren't strong. Share real life in Jesus. Share your real life with them. Right? It's reality. Just share who you really are. And then, when it feels right, when you're sensing the Holy Spirit, like it feels right, ask them if you could share with them more of what it means for you to follow Jesus. And, and share with them if they give you permission to do that. If you don't already have a gospel, a way to share the gospel, if you don't already have one, I put a link in there, which is the Four Circles presentation that I have found helpful. You could look at that. It's in your notes. It's on our, on our website. Actually, it's on YouTube. But learn some gospel presentation. Eighth, pray for them. Pray for Jesus to work in their hearts. Fast, pray some more. And then ninth, be part of a group of people who share this life purpose. See, following Jesus means devoting your life to making Jesus and the gospel known to people who don't know Jesus. And that level of devotion is hard to maintain all by your lonesome. That's why Jesus sent the disciples out in twos in Mark's gospel. Remember that? That's, what, that's, what a, that's what, why we have home groups. Home group is a gathering of brothers and sisters who are devoted to Jesus Christ, and part of that means we're going to devote ourselves together to making Jesus known to people who don't know him. And so we, we help each other keep that devotion strong. We pray for each other when it's flagging. We're spurring each other on. We're encouraging each other. We're working together to, to help people who come to know Jesus who don't know him. So be part of a group, and that's what our home groups are for. So those are nine thoughts in terms of how to, how to start. Okay, now what, what questions does this raise? The, if, if you're not sharing Christ with people because you're not abiding, then the right order would be abide and start sharing Christ with people. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah. Abiding is the most important issue there. We've, we've got to bear fruit, John 15 says, very similar passage to Mark 8. We've got to bear fruit, but the way we do that is by abiding. Okay. 
Yeah. So in the early church, they were all devoted to this purpose, and they weren't all pastors, right? Okay, so um, what does it mean, Dale's question, to be totally devoted? It means that everything in your life serves the purpose of making Christ known. And so does that mean you quit your job? Well, no. I mean, Jesus has called you to that job. You can ask him, should I quit my job? I was a pastor for 15 years, and the Lord told me to quit being a pastor so that I could make Jesus known by moving up here and becoming a real estate agent and start a church. Okay, so I, I, you, know, you can quit. You can change careers if God calls you to do that. So the point is, what is you come before Jesus and say, how can I be devoted to making you known? For some of you, husbands, make, your wife, make, make Jesus known to your wife better. Okay? Everything's about making Jesus known. Wives, make Jesus known to your husband. Parents, make Jesus known to your kids. All right? To, to the people in your home group, everything's about making Jesus known. At the workplace, make Jesus known. Jesus, how can I do it at my workplace? In your neighborhood, make Jesus known. Everything's about making Jesus known. Right? So what job do you have? Ask Jesus. I mean, don't all become pastors. That's because, you know, then there's, anyway, enough said about that. Um, I'd lose my job. <laughs> Most importantly, that'd be a real problem. Hey, look, I'm open to Jesus calling me to go back into real estate. I mean, if we plant so many churches that, that like the church is gone because we've planted them all, it's like, okay, go back into real estate. I mean, we're all here about, or we should be here to make known Jesus to people who don't know him. That's what life's about. Do that in your job, do that in your home, do that with your family, do that in your neighborhood. Hey, you, you, you've, that's a great question. You've, you've got to find a way that the, that the rhythm works in, how, in what Jesus has called you to do. Okay, so you've got a job, and you've got responsibilities. So one of your questions is, where do you start? And you start by abiding in Christ. You start by trusting Jesus. Okay, and you come before him, and you, and you, you ask him this exact question. What should my week look like to fulfill your purpose for me? You ask him that question. And he will give you wisdom in that. So where do I spend time with you? I mean, I'd hope you'd spend time, be able to spend time with, I hope you need to spend time with the Lord at least every day. Okay, abiding in Christ, letting him pour his love into your heart, fellowshipping with him, casting all your burdens upon him, loving him, letting him strengthen you. That's, that's the starting point of everything. So that's got to be happening regularly, even all the time. And then you need to be part of a group of people who you're giving and receiving encouragement from. So, Lord, how would this look? I mean, I'm part of a home group, and we're connecting with the brothers. We're connecting, sisters connecting. We're, we're, we're building each other up. And then how can I make you known in my neighborhood? How can I make you known in my workplace? So Jesus will give you what this looks like, what, what, um, how, this, how this works itself out in your schedule. He'll, he'll give this to you most important thing is that you're walking with Jesus and you're asking him, how do I live this out? And you have some brothers and sisters that you're encouraging and loving and caring for and that are encouraging and loving and caring for you. And then I would say, start by saying, Lord, give me one, one person who doesn't know you that I can just love and serve. One person. This, I would encourage you to start there. Give me one person that I can love and serve and befriend and show Jesus to. Who might that be? How can I develop a real, just a real sweet, authentic relationship where we're just hanging out and they're seeing Jesus in me. I would start right there, okay? So that's, that's, the, that's the flavor. It's, it's relational. No week will be the same as the previous week. There's no one size fits all. There's no one week's formula that's going to be. It's life. It's rhythm. It's, you know, but it's, the Lord will make it really clear to you. And then just walk in grace, too. Don't beat yourself up. I mean, this is the stuff you're, you're trusting in. That's the most important thing. 
Okay, we need to stop. If you have more questions, email me or, or, or talk to me afterwards. But let's stand together. I want us to pray. Jesus says, follow me and I will make you become a fisher of men. I, 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 will, I will turn you into a fisher of men. This is just a great promise. And so I want to I pray that promise for us. That's where it all starts. Trusting him, abiding in him. So Lord Jesus, here we are. I pray first of all that we are all saying yes to you from our hearts. Lord, we, we would love to have our lives be devoted to making you known to people who don't know you. So would you work this into us? Would you guide us? Would you lead us to like one neighbor or one person at work that we could just love and serve and and show Jesus to and, and share Jesus with? Or would you do that for us? And then I pray that each person here would, in the months, years to come, have the joy of seeing somebody come to know you. I plead with you, Lord, for each person here that they would have that joy. I pray for that. So we give ourselves to you. Apart from you, we can do nothing. So come and work this into our hearts right now. Thank you, Lord. We give ourselves to you. Let me just pray a blessing over you. It's from Numbers chapter 6. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.